Hey guys, welcome and thank you so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Today I'm talking with co-owners of Joint Operations, a veteran-owned and operated chain of dispensaries in Massachusetts. Bill Duggan and Todd Sullivan, thanks so much for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel, sir. Thanks for having us. It's an yes. honor. Absolutely. Look, let's talk a little bit about you, the both of you first before we get into the business. But Bill, let's start with you. Tell me a little bit about your, your military background, sir. Yeah, of course. Um, so um, I went into the military a little bit late in life. I was 32, um, but I did 10 years and it ran concurrently with my law enforcement career. I joined the reserves. Um, in 2010, I deployed to Afghanistan, 2010-11. And right after that, about 2012 is when I got um, out of the reserves and finished up my law enforcement career as a police officer. I retired about two years ago from the police department. And that's when I hooked up with um, Canapreneur Partners and my friend Mike. Uh, Michael Scott and Todd Sullivan. Wow. And Todd, did you have military background, sir? No, I don't personally. Both of my grandfathers were were military and my father was law enforcement for 35 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, let me go back to you for a second, Bill. I mean, what did you think you were going to do when you got out of the military? What what did you envision life was going to be like after the military? You were going to be a police officer then? I thought I was going to be a cop till I was uh, 65, but... um, just the environment, the you know, the way things were happening around in the law enforcement community. I got ended up getting out a little early, um, and I hooked up my friend uh, Michael Scott, who um, you know, and Todd with Canapreneur Partners. He came to me and he said, you know, what do you think about joining us and uh, doing a veteran-owned, co-owned cannabis um, dispensary? And I was like, yeah, that's something I can get into. And, I, and to be honest, I was kind of getting burnt out. I was ready for a, a career change. But, you know, it's, it's interesting that you say, yeah, you, you were saying, yeah, I'm ready to do that because it's interesting, but police officer, cannabis, police officer, cannabis, come on, explain this. Yeah, absolutely. My, my dad was a cop in the 70s, and uh, I joke with him all the time. I said, you know, he, him and my mom are real proponents of the uh, medical use of uh, cannabis, and it's helped them. Of course, um, when you were up um, previously, we talked about my mom's MS and stuff, so. My dad's a big advocate of it now, and I joke with him all the time. I go, Dad, you used to arrest guys with joints in the ashtrays in the 70s, and now, uh, you know, you're, you're pushing for the medical um, benefits of this this plant, this usage for, uh, you know, all kinds of ailments and uh, how it's helping the veteran community. I mean, that's not, not just your dad, but, I mean, I'm sure I don't know whether you ever arrested anybody for cannabis use while you were. So it's kind of a weird little juxtaposition don't you think it is yeah yeah it was it was odd it's really funny i think bill has <laughs> bill has the single best theory i've ever heard about right. cannabis. you know I mean, we were always told cannabis is a gateway drug growing up and you know now that we have data out we know that's completely false um, but bill has this amazing theory and it makes the most sense we have any that i've heard about why uh the whole cannabis yeah. and gateway drug kind of became something that people are talking about yeah so what's, i just what's that so, you know, um, in the in my career, I just saw, you know, everybody was like, oh, it's a gateway drug. But I believe, I, I, I come to really think it, it's absolutely true, is it's not so much a gateway drug, but because uh, cannabis was illegal, it drove uh, kids, drove our youth down to the seedy underworld of the harder drugs. They go down to buy a pot, uh, you know, wherever they get that from. And then there's the, the dealers that were down there were introducing them to, you know, the harder stuff, you know, and then the fentanyl and 
all the other stuff that's out yeah. on the street that's more dangerous, of course. It's no coincidence <laughs> now that you legalize it in those states. Teen teen use falls, and it hasn't gone up. So you're taking and, it. Well, we, we, not just teen use fall, falls, but opioid use falls in every yeah. single state that it's legalized in. So yeah. we know for a fact, and there's been enough science, and we knew this even back in the 80s. This is like kind of just BS to continue to arrest people. But yeah. I mean, my thought process on it, because, I mean, we knew the studies that we're talking about right now that validate cannabis as an exit drug, not a gateway drug, yes. were already proven in the 80s, in the early 90s. So this is information that was out there, information that our federal government believed in enough to go ahead and give themselves a patent for back in 2002. So, you know, this is, it, I think there's, there's, there's truth and there's bullshit and bullshit walks and truth doesn't get to talk. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They get their tax dollars. So they're happy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So now let's talk a little bit about to you, Todd. I mean, uh, your background, you were an entrepreneur since age 18. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I started my first business at 18, installing above ground swimming pools in upstate New York in the summers to put myself through college. And then every job I've had since then was entrepreneurial. We did register receipt tape advertising in the back of grocery stores. And I worked in the restaurant business for about a decade. And then in 2007, I've always been a writer. And I kind of started writing some stuff about my stock ideas and trades. And before I knew it, I was in the Wall Street Journal and on CNN and I'm sorry, CNBC and Fox News, uh, business news it was at the time. And it just kind of took off. And then in 2016, cannabis legalized in Massachusetts. And I really, I looked at this as the next big, from an investor standpoint, the next really big wave of what's going to happen. This is this is a redo of the internet, but I think much bigger and much more helpful for a lot of people, especially health-wise. But growing up, when I grew up in the 70s and the 80s, I really wasn't convinced or didn't know the knowledge I have now of, of the efficacy of the plant and what it really does to help people. And when it, you legalize it in your state, the tremendous societal benefits that come from this plant when you legalize it. Uh, once I figured that out, I really just, I said, you know what? Not only can, as an investor, can you make money, but you can save lives. You can make the world a better place by helping bring this plant to the people. And that's what I got involved for force. So I closed my hedge fund at the time. I joined up with Mike here, Canapreneur, and we just went full force into this because we both truly believe we're not selling an entertainment here. We're selling a product that is helping people change their lives. It is helping people live longer, helping getting people off awful, terrible drugs, and it makes this world a much better place. I mean, one of you, tell me a little bit about what is Canapreneur? You brought it up now twice, but explain yeah. that, what was the concept behind Canapreneur? Where did it come from? So Canapreneur is, is you know, Mike Scott started Canapreneur in 2019. Um, and the really thought process was to bring amazing entrepreneurs and bring capital together in the cannabis space to just create something really special. So we're, you know, we're partnering with veterans. Uh, we're partnering with veterans in the industry. And we're partnering with entrepreneurs to kind of create this ecosystem of businesses that can all feed and benefit each other for the benefit of all the entrepreneurs and the people who are backing them in the space. And our goal is to have a joint operations dispensary. If you want to drive on Route 95 from Maine to Florida, that you know if you're going to get off 95 at some point in time, there's going to be a joint operations dispensary near you selling high quality cannabis products with a really personal touch in the experience. This isn't a CVS. You're walking into some place that we get consultations. They have people hear what your ailments are. What are you trying to solve with cannabis use? We know that the majority of people who use cannabis, the vast majority, use it for medical reasons, not to hang out and get high with friends. So by having a consultative approach to their bud tenders, why are you here? 
What are you trying to fix? What do you need help with? We can offer them the right products and the right delivery method to give them the maximum results that they can get. So that's what we're passionate about. We're passionate about helping people, whether it be veterans we bring into the organization, entrepreneurs we reach out and help bring up and help. It's all about helping people and bringing this plan to as many people as possible. That's what Canapreneur Partners is all about. So whose idea was it to come up with the name for your dispensaries is joint operations. So I was, it was kind of a team effort, right? I think, yeah. I think kind of Bill and the team came up with it and it really was, you know, we're joining together, right? It's veterans and entrepreneurs joining together. It's finance guys and Canada people joining together. And even our logo, the way that J and the O are kind of looped together, it just different people were coming together with a, with a central purpose to bring cannabis to the masses and to do it in a way that people walk into these suspensories and they know what they're walking out with. They're not walking in blind and just buying products and walking out. That they're getting what they need. Yeah, we were a little worried they weren't going to accept the name of the yeah. Cannabis Control Commission. <laughs> wow, yeah, uh, yeah, because you got the word joint in it, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But we yeah. described it. You know what? I mean, everyone complains about regulars, but I think at Mass are pretty lucky. They're pretty responsive and pretty yeah. – um, they hear you when you talk. I guess that's all you can hope for. Absolutely. Well, Bill, I mean, let's talk a little bit about when, when did you become interested? Again, you got out of the policing, but I mean, were you just sitting around one day and saying, hmm, who called you and said, but yeah, I've been friends with Mike for um, uh, several years. I think we went on like 16, 18 years, something like that. Um, and I knew he was up to stuff like this. <laughs> he was, he's always working in some new business venture. Uh, but when he came to me, you know, we, we got into, um, uh, he was driving racing cars and stuff like that. And I was hanging out with him and his dad was into it, but his dad's uh, prior military. And so him, him and my, his dad and I would always hit it off and have war stories to talk about and stuff. So um, I was always talking about helping veterans in a way. I have a lot of friends suffering from PTSD. The effects are pretty bad. Um, I'm currently out with a back injury, my bulge disc, which because um, I'm still in the, um, when I got out of the law enforcement, I was still in the National Guard. And uh, I'm currently out with a back injury and now unable because of the drug testing and federal regulations that I can't use cannabis to help any of my ailments. So I'm kind of kind of pushing for that, that federal legalization where I know will help sleeplessness, PTSD, all kinds of joint and back pain. I, all the benefits that cannabis has to offer to the, to the veterans that, you know, it's hard for them to get. As a, as a as a veteran, though, I mean, I know that you're able to utilize cannabis in states that have a legal medical program going on without being a fear of losing your VA benefits. Sure, you worried about your your because currently we're still active in the National Guard, so we still get uh, so got it. yeah, got it, got it, got it. So, I mean, what what sets joint operations apart? I mean, I, I, I of course. You know, the founders do, but uh, what are you hoping that will set you apart when it comes to, you know, what you provide to consumers and those kinds of things? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Do you want to know how to become a social media influencer, how to grow an online business, how to make money from your laptop and build a profitable online company? Well, I'm going to show you how in my podcast, Living the Red Life. I built a million-dollar company at the age of 25, a $10 million company at the age of 30, and now I'm the A-list celebrity marketer that speaks around the world on how to transform businesses and make them profitable using Facebook ads, marketing, social media. My name's Rudy Moore, and I'm super pumped to bring you my podcast, Living the Red Life. I know this is going to become your new favorite podcast, and I'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step-by-step every single week. 
the customer service. I know um, I just said to Todd, we were talking about it. Um, and my mom was up uh, on the soft opening. We had family and friends up there. And she was walked through the whole buying process, the whole shopping part of it. And she walked out of there with a smile on her face. And she says, I've never, you know, had an experience like that before. And I said, that's where we're going to focus is the customer service and the products that we're going to sell up there. And uh, she just she just loved it. Yeah, there's a large part of the population that is really nervous or scared to walk into a dispensary. They haven't bought cannabis and many people haven't smoked it in 20 or 30 years and they just don't know. Um, you know, so we make it a point in our dispensaries and, and, you know, Bill's a big proponent of this, that every single person gets their hand held if they want it through the process. Just, you know, describing the various products we have, how they affect you, how they can help you with what ailment they're in for. It really is. It, it's the first time you're buying something that many people haven't used in years or used in their entire life and they're nervous and scared about it and they need to be educated as far as what they're taking and how to take it and that's something that you know bill insists on and that's something that you know we really hope that everyone that walks in our dispensary walks up being like you know what i learned something today and i'm confident this purchase is going to help me well you know that's the one thing i i you know we're doing this podcast now for two years and we've done well over almost 200 of them and it's something that i harp on on probably you know 80 percent of them is the fact that i think the biggest disservice that this business has done to itself is our lack of education to the consumer you know, we don't, you know, we, we complain about big pharma, but, you know, complain all you want. Big farmers figured out how to do something right. That's the reason why Congress stays off their back. You mm -hmm. know, the fact that they can shove any bullshit product down your throat that they want 24 hours a day on television, whether it works or not, they can advertise, market you, turn you into a lemming and force you into a doctor's office begging for something that you don't even know if it works. Yeah. And Congress says nothing about it. Yeah. And you put the word joint in your title of your name. Next thing you know, you got administrations and municipalities coming down on your head like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. I mean, the whole thing is nuts. I mean, even, even you go back to the veterans. I mean, you know, Bill, Bill can't use cannabis because he's still active duty, but they can give him a cocktail of pills that make him feel horrible. And that's perfectly okay to do, but sure. he, he can't use a plant. It's yeah, I mean, I, I, I do a lot of work with the VA. Um, I'm doing a lot of work. I've been doing a lot of work with the DOD you know, continuously uh, for the last 20 years. And, um, you know, the one thing I find it's really, 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 really just egregiously offensive is the fact that, you know, DOD has even banned CBD, yeah. which yeah. clearly shows you how ignorant yeah. our leadership is when they won't even recognize it's something that was federally patented, patented by the U.S. government and identified and described and explained should be available to everybody. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we send our sons and daughters and mothers and sisters and husbands and sisters overseas to die. The very least we can do is let them take a plant that doesn't kill anybody and makes them feel better. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a, an extracted portion of the plant that doesn't yeah. do anything other than yes. medicinal value. Yeah. Right? It's immoral. <laughs> it is. Absolutely. What would you guys like to see? I mean, now you you've been in this business now for how long? A year and a half, two years? When you're when it comes to opening your dispensaries, I mean, you you just launched the brand new one, right? Yeah, yeah. We just opened last Monday. That we have another one on the way in a couple months in October. Um, for us, it's really it's really the veteran access. It's really for us as our as our big issue right now is veteran access. I mean, like I just said, you know, we can we can send people to foreign lands for years at a time and under horrific conditions, and then they come home and rather than let them use an all natural plant that we know is proven to help 
we put them on cocktails of opioids and alcohol and we somehow throw up our hands and say, geez, I don't know why that went wrong. We know it's going to go wrong. History tells us it's going to go wrong. And, you know, veterans are black, they're white, they're Hispanic, they're Asian, they're gay, they're straight. They're, they're a microcosm of the U.S. society. And you're not helping any one group by helping veterans. You're helping us all. And you're helping people who volunteer to put their lives on the line for this nation. You have a moral responsibility when they come home to do everything possible to make them feel okay and to heal them, not treat, not mask, but heal. Cannabis heals. Opioids just treat. Opioids just dull the sensation. They dull the pain. Cannabis helps heal. CBD helps heal. I think that's what we have to do. And Bill's passionate about it. And, you know, he's all over this. So always doing veteran events, telling vets about it and helping them get access. And Bill, what's the, what's the pushback or feedback that you get from, you know, some of your former law enforcement friends or people that are in the established municipalities that you know, where you talk to them and say, look, I got out and out of the police department and I'm running a cannabis dispensary. Right. They must go, huh? Yeah, it is kind of a running joke, but I'll tell you, um, I have one of my friends, uh, a real good friend of mine, uh, he's um, attached to the DEA. And he said they could not only could they not care less about cannabis, um, it, even cocaine. They're like, that. everything's all fentanyl and all the opioids and stuff like that. I mean, well, we got to remember cocaine is a class two drug, right? Yeah. Cocaine. So, schedule, so schedule, schedule two drug, not so, schedule one, schedule two. We got, you know, so you got cannabis that's vilified right. as a worse drug than cocaine. Are you kidding me? But they still, that people don't know this, but doctors can still prescribe cocaine. I didn't know that. Oh, well, you definitely can. If you go to a hospital, a doctor can prescribe cocaine as a pre-surgical sedative. They wow. can dig. There is a component of cocaine. Cocaine. It's a brown little substance that almost every hospital dispensary, a hospital not dispensary, pharmacy has in their supply in the hospital. Schedule two drug. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So they, they um, it's a running joke, but I, 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 it's not a big surprise. I mean, they, they just don't. Uh, the cannabis just isn't um, a hot item in law enforcement anymore. And everybody sees the, um, you know, the value of it and helping. And, and, well, and that's a question I do have. When you say everybody sees the value, I mean, Todd, being an entrepreneur that you are, you recognize that this, we are still right now only in the, you know, the, the burgeoning, the beginning stages of cannabis. I mean, we're like the Wright brothers pushing that wooden hill, that wooden plane down a hill. I mean, yeah, we need to move this forward. We're, we're, we talk about cannabis. We're talking about it from a, a human consumption standpoint. Uh, but you know, cannabis. We know uh, the hemp plant has close to twenty five hundred different uses. Everything from you know, you can turn uh, a cellulose material of hemp into graphene, and it has a greater electrical storage capability than graphite. Uh, when you look at uh, uh, hemp fibers being used for insulation, they have a greater insulation property than what we use now in the synthetics that we create. Um, you know, we're not even scratching the surface when it comes to hemp. I mean, most people don't even recognize the fact that, you know, America was built on hemp, wasn't built on tobacco, wasn't built on cotton, was built on hemp. When this country was first formed in the late 1600s, early 1700s, you were considered unpatriotic if you were a farmer and you didn't grow hemp. Why? Because hemp is responsible for everything from the ropes, the sales, the word canvas comes from cannabis. Camp, camp, all the things that we, clothing, the entire revolutionary army was clothed in hemp fibers. The only thing the North and the South had in common was that 
The majority of their uniforms were also made of hemp fibers. I mean, it's, it's just so ridiculous that we allowed two assholes, you know, uh, uh, William Rather Hurst and Charles DuPont, to yeah. follow the the racist diatribe of Anslinger and create something that would give them a re-enslavement tool. We should be looking at this as a product of the future, not of the past. Yeah, it's and it's a, it's a reusable product of the future, right? You plant it on the same ground every year and it cleans the soil. Hemp is an amazing, amazing plant. How about the fact that we've known that the, the Russians have been using hemp to try to deradiate the ground under Chernobyl? I yeah. guess they prepare to do it again here in the Ukraine because they keep dropping bombs on uh, next to the nuclear power plant. So I guess they're going to get into a, a big mess. But you can actually leach radiation out of the soil. Yeah, it, it's 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 nature's cleaner. And when you fire when you plant it, it cleans that soil like nothing else. And, you know, it makes better ropes. It makes better clothing. And every it, Henry Ford, Henry Ford made a car out of hemp in the early 1900s before it was illegal. And the car ran great, by the way. Currently, I, mean, I don't know if you know, if you, if you know, if you, you remember Isaiah Thomas, right? Oh, yeah. Basketball player Isaiah Thomas. Isaiah Thomas started a a hemp company, cannabis company out of Colombia, South America. It's now it was originally called One World Pharma. It's now called One World Products. They literally have a million acres. No, sorry, a million hectares under contract wow. in Colombia to grow hemp and cannabis, and have signed contracts with multiple European car manufacturers to start making hemp plastic for their dashboards, seats, yep. door panels, for cars. Yeah, it's stronger and it lasts longer than plastic. Absolutely. And it'll biodegrade over time. Plastic won't. It's and once it starts to biodegrade, it still has the ability, do you know this, to sequester and pull in CO2? I didn't know that when it biodegrades. Dried up hemp can still sequester CO2. That's amazing. It's just as bizarre as you could be. And I mean, right now, if we were if if we were smart enough, everybody complains about what we're doing about whatever you want to call it, whether it be global warming, climate change. I don't care what you call it. I'm not a politician and I don't give a shit. Um, I only give a shit about what it's leaving for our children. If we were to, if you remember, just think back in this country, especially up in the Northeast, people used to allow vines to grow on their houses. Yeah. All of the outside of your house was vines. If we were to right now take every public-owned municipality kind of owned building from parking structures to government-owned buildings and just planted hemp on the outside of those buildings, we could be sequestering more CO2 than all of the rainforest. That's amazing. And we could literally impact global warming just like that. Yeah. And make you healthy. <laughs> Come on, man. So now let me ask you a question about joint operations. Are you guys, do you have your own brands? I, I'm, I'm going to say for 100% complete disclosure, you're carrying my brand in one of your stores. Hopefully you'll carry them in all of them. But um, are you coming up with your own brand? Have you started doing that yet? We are. So we're in the process of acquiring a uh, micro license cultivation. Uh, they have an award winning uh, Canagar in the state of Massachusetts. And we're also coming to market with our own production facilities, which will be doing our own products. So the, the, the short answer is not yet, but we will. Good. But we will. Well, what's Canapreneur's vision beyond Massachusetts? Is there a vision outside of the state of Massachusetts? East Coast. So right now, 40% of the U.S. population lives in a state that touches the Atlantic Ocean. And right now, Maine, 
Massachusetts and New Jersey are the only adult use cannabis states that have open dispensaries on the entire East Coast. So our plan is to just follow legalization down the East Coast. Within the last year, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Rhode Island, and Virginia all legalized. We think Delaware, Pennsylvania are next on the list. And we're even seeing some of the Southern states, the Carolinas, the Georgias, starting to have talk about legalization of cannabis in their states. So, you know, once you see the red states in the Southeast start flipping, it, the rest of it's going to go automatically. And it, the politicians, it, it's, it comes under tax revenues, right? Mm -hmm. Every state that's legal, you get more cannabis tax revenue than you do alcohol tax revenue after about a year, year and a half. But as, I guess that's also, though, what's forced the gray and black market to be so prolific. I mean, yes. we look around the country right now in California, the gray and black market. I mean, what's the estimate? Last year alone, the estimate was that cannabis sold in the legal markets $25 billion worth of product, probably more closer, closer to $60 billion in the black and gray market. And as we continue to allow our politicians to be as dumbass as they are to drive the price up for taxes, we drive the black market. Yeah. We help it cooperate. Yeah, that's an interesting that's an interesting comment. And it really goes down to state by state regulations, right? I mean, California has regulations, but unfortunately, they don't they don't implement or enforce them. I mean, you and I could go open an illegal dispensary in California. Maybe we get caught, maybe we don't. If we do, maybe it's a thousand dollar fine. Maybe they take our product. Either way, next week we're someplace else doing the same thing. We have no fear of prosecution. On the East Coast, you're gonna get prosecuted if you do that. So you know, you can have regulations that if you don't enforce encourage that illicit market whereas the east coast states they've kind of learned from those errors and they're like eh. and it's also yeah. harder to grow black market out here year the round. black market in new york and new jersey oh, okay. is as big as what they're going to create right now yeah. in the real market i it's, it's been that way come on two years ago you could get any cannabis that you wanted from california arizona new mexico all over the country you could have it delivered to your apartment in manhattan yeah and cops kind of turned another eye in some ways they did in other ways they didn't but majority of ways for the the bigger distributors nobody even complained about it and yeah. i don't see how they're going to you know look it's like the cat's out the bag when it comes to medical cannabis in america where you got well over 90 percent of the of the population believes that there should be medical cannabis available in every state in america that cat's out the bag it's out the bag when it comes to the gray and black market until we start figuring out the right thing to do legislatively we don't have to overtax this product to make money i mean you figure was was cannabis considered uh, essential service in massachusetts during COVID? No. Medical was, but not adult use, which was the ultimate. They kept the liquor stores open, but closed the adult use dispensaries. Which I is really, which is really stupid because the adult right. use dispensaries are medical dispensaries. I mean, I, I like yeah. you. I, I happen to believe that anybody who gravitates to cannabis over alcohol gravitates to it for some underlying medical reason to begin with. Whether 100%. or not they say it's just to feel relaxed when I get home, that's a medical reason. If they say it's to help them sleep better, to me, that's a medical reason. If it's yep. them. To reduce some of their anxiety, that's a medical reason. Whether they want to admit it or not doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, and they, the only reason they kept the liquor stores open is because they didn't want the alcoholics coming into treatment centers and overloading the treatment centers during COVID. So right. they kept it open to feed it, feed an addiction. Not yeah, yeah, they probably also didn't want the liquor stores being robbed. Because <laughs> exactly. I think that would have gone crazy. Yeah. You know, um, so you're, you're looking to go up and down the East Coast? 
Yeah, we like it. I mean, you know, there's no there's no access on the East Coast right now. And, you know, we look at California as far as, you know, investment options and you know, there's thousands of dispensaries out West and thousands of illegal dispensaries out West. And you really don't have those issues on the East Coast to that anywhere near that degree. Uh, so it's a more it's a safer place, I think, for investors to look at. And it's, it's a brand new market. It's a blue ocean of opportunity. You're, every state that opens or turns legal is a brand new cannabis market. You know, there's no national market. Cannabis can't cross state lines. What you grow in your state, you have to sell in your state. So we look at every brand new state that opens on the East Coast as a brand new market with a brand new set of rules and brand new ways to, to capitalize on that and to bring this plant to the people. Ultimately, that's what it's about. How fast can we bring as much of this plant to the people as possible? It helps. It heals. Absolutely. Bill, I mean, what advice would you give to a, another entrepreneur? And Todd, you can jump in us too, who, who wants to get into this business. What advice would you give them right now? Oh, this, step in. Yeah, I couldn't even. I couldn't have been more lucky. Um, you know, Todd and Mike are, are both amazing entrepreneurs. I'm already just on the sidelines, learn a lot. Um, but we're definitely setting ourselves apart because of the veteran um, focus that we're going to have. I mean, you yourself, I, not to pat myself on the back, but I said we need to bring Montel in this when we did our mural. Um, I think you might be the only veteran up there. Um, <laughs> I said, uh, I said, we need to bring him in. I, Mike was like, he's telling me that you got, you already had your own line. Um, and um, I just know that the value there for to helping veterans or anybody, um, but it's definitely going to set us apart along with, our, I know, with, like Todd mentioned earlier, setting the customer service above and beyond what other stores are going to have. I, I have to say, 100% complete disclosure, though I've been talking to Mike a little bit also, your partner, about, you know, putting on some events to, help get the word out. I mean, I think that's the one thing that, you know, it's great that you're opening up your dispensary and it's great that you're going to have billboards and signs and things to make people drive them towards it. But I think, you know, taking that active leadership role in educating the consumer um, is just invaluable. Uh, I think that, you know, when you look across the board, across every 90% of the states, some people say that they're doing it, but they really aren't. You know, they think a five-minute lecture to their bud tenders is enough information. It's not. But to be able to come out, I mean, let's look at it. Well, there's a couple of things that have to happen, I think, before we see any real federal change. One, a whole bunch of assholes got to die, sorry, or get out of Congress and Senate. I mean, that's what's going to have to happen because there are some some entrenched yeah. buttheads who will go to a party in Washington, D.C. and watch their friends smoke pot right beside them and won't say a word about it, but then they will make it illegal for everybody else. So we have to, I think, hopefully – some of these people will be voted out of office who won't be there uh, to make the change. But I think the change is going to come when there are more and more consumers the same way. I mean, look, pharma has understood this since day one. Educate the masses. They demand the drug. Why yeah. are there commercials on every single day? It, it's not a commercial because they want to make you know that there's something new. They want to have you regurgitate eloquent words, just be able to have those words ringing inside your head. You don't even know what they mean, what the drug, what the disease was for. But you've seen that commercial 25 different times so that when you walk into the doctor's office, you can say, hey, what about this drug? And the doctor goes right behind himself on the counter because a rep has been there. Oh, this one? I'll give you a free sample. Yes, the free samples from the doctors. I can't give away free samples of cannabis. My doctor gave me free oxy. That makes well, perfect really, sense. You can't, I, I, I thought on, if you held a private event on private land, you could actually do private consumption and yeah. give away product. Is that right? No, well, well, if someone came and bought our product and had an event on private land, they could distribute that product. We couldn't sell. We can't sell our product outside of our dispensary walls. Right. Uh, so we could 
sell it to the group having the event and then they could distribute it for free at their place. But yeah, we, we can't give someone a joint to try to see if they like it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. But my yeah, doctor. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's, it's kind of odd though. When you look at every state's legislation, very it's different. A little different. Yeah. So that's, yeah that's, different. Good. that's difficulty and opportunity. So it's from the entrepreneur, if you're able to weave your way through that regulatory mess in some states, it can be very profitable, right? And then some people get stuck in the regulations. So finding a group to work with as an entrepreneur or an investor that understands those regulatory differences and how, you know, certain sectors of the business may not be that great in this state, but they are in this state because of the regulations, it helps, it helps alleviate a lot of mistakes and makes for a smoother process for everyone involved. But it's very different state to state. Let me ask uh, uh, two questions. One, when do you think or do you think that the Fed will ever change its mind? So we we came out last June and said if it didn't happen that we said that we thought after about watching Biden, you know, come out four or five months and Schumer coming out and saying he's going to pass a bill, pass a bill. I think even- skip, skip women. I'm sorry. Biden was so full. I'm so sorry. I'm not, I'm, you know, I don't miss, mean to disparage the president of the United States, but so full of shit along All with right. him and the vice president. Because, you know, all that crap that they talked before they ran for office and the election, you know, the uh, the election day happened, all that crap they talk about. Well, the first thing we're going to do in our first hundred days is that we're going to figure out legislation. Yeah. The decrim- Shut the- I felt like mm, smacking yeah. them. You get no argument. You get no and argument. I felt, I felt like smacking them. I didn't mean I felt like smacking them. I'm not threatening the president or vice president. I'm just saying. Literal. Literal. Yeah, yeah, no, we agree completely on that. And actually, we have a problem with Schumer because the senator in the U.S. Senate who takes the most money from pharmaceutical industry, Schumer, and he right. can't manage to get a bill filed. So I wonder if that's a relationship. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, right? So we said that if Democrats are losing at the midterms, they start to raise the issue again. It's kind of happening like clockwork. If they don't pass something before the midterms, which I don't think they will, it'll be the next administration. Or maybe Biden does it on his way out the door executive order on his last day in office. It'll be the next administration. Like that clown still said about three months ago that it was a gateway drug. I can't, I can't oh, imagine, yeah. I can't imagine him doing anything at all favorable for cannabis. No. I, I, I've been saying it all along. I'm telling you, if, you know, right now the other party is just looking at issues that they want to kind of make sure they hedge their bet a little bit. You know, remember there was more pot smoked, by people who ran into the Capitol than there were cigarettes. Yeah. There was more pot smoke than that crowd listening to the speeches than there were cigars. Yeah. So, you know, I think if the, if the wrong minded, right minded, whatever you want to say, decided to push for an initiative around cannabis, I think that could actually win an election, move an election. uh, Your, your largest voting demographic coming up are millennials and Gen Z. That is a top two or three issue of them is cannabis legalization. If you're a Republican president, you could steal that issue from the Democrats if you wake white and say, now you're a hero to the largest voting demographic. Politically, it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. I see you kind of, you're, you're sitting there just kind of smiling over there, Bill. What's up? What do you think? <laughs> no, I think he's absolutely right. And I, I think it has to be done sooner than later. Um, and like I said, I have a lot of veteran friends that are, you know, either they do use it and it helps helps them or they want to and they're just waiting for that legalization and we did a podcast with a vet out of south carolina i'm sorry out of georgia who had to be anonymous because it's illegal in the state and he flat out said he goes i was coming home i was taking a bottle of pills and a bottle of vodka to go to bed because i would have been dead in a year 
because cannabis saved my life. He just flat out was just saying. He went back to school. He got two degrees. He's got a successful computer company that he founded. And he's like, three years ago, I was drinking a, a bottle of vodka and taking a bottle of pills to go to bed. He goes, I was dead. I was a walking dead person. And he's alive today. He says, only because of cannabis. He is off all his drugs. He doesn't drink. He's incredibly successful. And he's a vet. And I think we need to, there's more of that out there. Illegalize the damn plant or just give veterans access to it. And you're going to see many, many more stories like that. Well, you know, I got to tell you, the veteran community is finally starting to change a little bit. I did a, did a program speech in Hawaii and literally met with the regional director for all the VA in the Pacific. And they allowed us to hold a conference on the VA property about cannabis, wow. which, which is, has never been done before. They've never held a lecture on VA property on cannabis, and we were able to do that. Dr. Sue Sisley was there with me. We were together. Uh, AMVETS was there. They put it on, and it literally had a long conversation with the you know, um, regional commander about possibly having them be the home of a double-blind study that Sue Sicily might be able to write for them. And the, the doors open for a conversation, which before now has never been heard of. Yeah, that's incredible. That's, that's incredible. There was a study here done in Mass a few years ago, I think 2019. UMass Amherst did it. Uh, Steve Mandeli, he's a former vet. He's a selectman and also in the cannabis business in Massachusetts. He got together with a group and they interviewed, I think it was a thousand vets in Massachusetts. 90% of the vets said cannabis either made their life much or significantly better. Nine out of 10. I mean, you don't get numbers like that with any drug. You just don't. And you especially mm -hmm. don't do that with a plant, all natural thing. I mean, it's just, it's a no brainer. It should happen. Every study comes out and says the exact same thing. It's incredibly helpful to, to veterans and there's not the negative side effects that current treatments give them. Opioid cocktails don't ever work. They don't ever work. Mm -hmm. No. Well, you know, um, get, let's give out some information. So if people want to find out more and more about Joint Operations, where would they go? Jointoperations.com, uh, Joint Operations MA on Instagram or Facebook. If you're in Massachusetts on August 20th, we're having a grand opening event in Raleigh, Massachusetts. Complete disclosure, I'm going to be there. Yes, Montel will be there. Uh, Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank is going to be there. Uh, we have some other celebrities who are going to show up. It's going to be a great day. Uh, I believe, Montel, your group's going to have a booth with all your products on display. So, uh, we can talk about the healing powers of those. Uh, food those music, right? food yeah. trucks, music bands. Yeah. Food trucks, music. We have a whoopie pie truck. So everyone's going to want the whoopie pies. <laughs> there you go. There you go, for sure. And then, okay, that's for joint operations. If people wanted to, let's say, reach out to the two of you, where would they go? Same email address? Uh, uh or joint operations. They can find us through there. So, yeah. And I'm Todd yeah. Sullivan on Twitter. So that's easy to remember. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, for sure. I can't wait till the 20th uh, to come back in town. And um, I've, I've got to tell you, I've, I've had just a, a really phenomenal time in Massachusetts. I'm carried by lots of dispensaries. Your dispensary was really one of the highlights of my entire visit there. Um, but with, without a doubt, I think there is a real community in Massachusetts around cannabis yeah. that needs to get more information and you know, I think are strong and could actually step up to the plate and force some of the politicians to listen. Yeah, I think so. It's a, it's a great community in Massachusetts and it's uh, the rate of people coming into the cannabis community. 
I think is increasing at an accelerating pace in Massachusetts. It's, it's gone. When I first started in 2019, you know, it was the thing you whispered about it at cocktail parties or you whispered about it at barbecues. And now it's just right out in the open. People are just openly talking about it, openly discussing it. It's gone from the shadows to the normal conversations. Uh, and that's a great thing because once, once you start having normalized conversations about it, people then bond themselves to start to educate themselves and they'll start looking for answers and looking for clarity. And, and they'll be looking for good products going to joint operations. Right. That's right. <laughs> right. Quality veteran made products in our dispensary. Yes. Well, guys, I can't say thank you enough for being a part of the show today. You've given us some really great information. Anything else you want to add? No, I look forward to seeing you on the 20th. Yeah. It's going to be a good time. It's Absolutely. been a an honor. Thanks for all you've done for the cannabis space and veterans. It's, it's amazing to see. You've accomplished a lot. Congratulations. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. And thank you for, for sharing a little shelf space with my brand. And, you know, I hope I can uh, do some more for you because I've got more SKUs on the way. Oh, we take, we'll take them all. All right, for sure. You guys Thanks. take care. Be well. And you, make sure you keep tuning in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.